Philippians chapter number 3 and uh, verse number 10. And I'm going to turn on my microphone. How about that? Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay, uh, Philippians chapter number 3 and verse number 10. Here Paul is uh, writing to the church at Philippi, and he says, That I may know him. Talking about Jesus. That I may know him and, here it is, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this service so far. Thank you for um, just the enjoyment of being in your house with your people, singing these uh, wonderful songs about what you did for us. Uh, especially when it comes to the resurrection. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, just bless this time as we look into your word and study this wonderful, most important event in human history, the resurrection of our dear Savior. And uh, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to focus in on what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So our theme for... 2021 here at Cornerstone Baptist Church is looking unto Jesus. And since we are to keep our eyes upon him this year, I thought it would be good for us to learn a little more about Jesus, about Christ. Paul said in our text verse, in verse number 10, that I may know him. I hope that's your goal as well, because that certainly was Paul's goal, was to know Christ. And so far we've looked at uh, Jesus and and his person, as we studied his nature, if you recall, uh, a couple weeks ago, we looked at his nature. We learned that Jesus has a divine nature. We learned that Jesus has a human nature. And praise the Lord, we learned that Jesus has a sinless nature as well. And then the next week, we looked at his purpose, why Jesus came to this earth. First, we saw that he came to submit to his Father's will. And of course, as we looked at his purpose, we saw our purpose uh, here as well um, for our own lives to submit to uh, the Father's will. He came to satisfy the law. He came to seek and to save. He came to serve and to sacrifice. And last Sunday, uh, we took the service and looked at his passion, his sacrifice on the cross, the fact that it was promised, the fact that it was painful, and his sacrifice and his passion was providing. And so last Sunday, we saw Jesus on the cross. And if you go to a lot of churches, they'll have a crucifix, a cross with Jesus hanging on the cross. Uh, now, while I am so thankful for Jesus' amazing sacrifice, you see, that wasn't the end of the story. Uh, because you see, after he died, he didn't stay on that cross. He got taken down and he got put into a borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, not far from Calvary. And a huge stone was rolled in front of that tomb to seal him in. But on the third day, as we sung just a few moments ago, up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. And so today we're going to look at his power, specifically at the power of his resurrection. Uh, Paul said this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So today we're going to look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. First of all, if you're taking notes this morning, I want us to notice, number one, the priority of his resurrection. His resurrection was important, but why was the resurrection so important? Why was it such a priority that the resurrection of Jesus Christ happened? Uh, well, for us, first of all, it certifies our faith. Uh, we're here this morning. Why are we here? Is it because this is what we just normally do on Sundays? I hope that that is the case. It's a good habit to have to go to church. But really, uh, why not just stay home and watch the pregame, uh, all the pregame stuff leading up to the Super Bowl? Why not just do that? Uh, well, the reason that we're here is because we are celebrating the resurrection. Uh, if you would, turn in your Bible, and we're going to kind of land here for the rest of the service. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, which is the resurrection chapter. 
Paul really deals a lot with the resurrection of Christ and the, res- the resurrection of believers in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. It is his great uh, resurrection uh, discourse. But uh, let's look in uh, verse number 12 of 1 Corinthians 15. Here's what Paul said. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some of you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? In verse 14, though, and if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain. Paul said, what? And, and, and here's what I say. If Christ is not risen, if Christ is, did not rise from the grave, then why do I spend so much time preparing all these sermons? It's, it's empty. It's pointless. But because he is raised, uh, it's not pointless. Um, and he goes on to say, Then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. You go around talking about you're a Christian and you believe in Christianity. It's pointless if Christ be not raised. Let's keep reading in verse 15. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God. We're going around talking about the resurrection and we end up becoming liars. Because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. And Paul said, look, if we're going around talking about the resurrection of Christ... We're fools. We're, we're spreading a whole bunch of fake news if, uh, if, if the dead rise not. Verse 16, if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Here he says it again. But then he says it and goes a little further in verse 17 and says, Ye are yet in your sins. So if Christ be not raised... We're all a bunch of sinners with absolutely zero hope. Verse number 18, Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. Those who've gone on before, uh, there's no hope for them. And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, in just His birth and His death, and His life and His death, and that's it, we are of all men most miserable. He said, if all we have is Jesus' A birth and life and his death. Well, every other founder of religion had a birth, had a life, and had a death. And if that's all we have hope in, we're of men most miserable. But I like what he says in verse number 20. The, the tone completely changes here. In verse number 20 he says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that sleep? In other words... Christ has risen from the dead, and as a result, our faith is not in vain. And uh, we are not men most miserable, and, and we're not yet in our sins anymore because of the resurrection of Christ. It certifies our faith. You see, without the resurrection, our faith is completely empty and void. It's pointless. Why do we come to church? Why do we uh, you know, serve the Lord? Why do we read God's Word? Why do we uh, give? Why do we do all these things? Without the resurrection, it's absolutely empty. There's no reason to do any of that. Why not just live your lives for yourselves? Why not just do what you want to do? But because he has risen, it does certify our faith. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, And that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. See, we're we're to live our lives now for the Lord because he has risen from the dead. Not because uh, if he he didn't, then why give your lives for someone who just died? Everybody dies, but only one rose from the grave, and that was Jesus Christ. R.A. Torrey said this, This was the glad tidings, first, that Christ died for our sins, and made atonement, and second, that he rose again. The crucifixion loses its meaning without the resurrection. Without the resurrection, the death of Christ was only the heroic death of a noble martyr. But with the resurrection, it is the atoning death of the Son of God. It shows that that death to be of sufficient value to cover all of our sins, for it was the sacrifice of the Son of God. In it, we have an all-sufficient ground for knowing that the blackest sin is atoned for disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and Christian faith is vain, Tory says. Henry Morris, the great apologist, said this, 
The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the crowning proof of Christianity. If the resurrection did not take place, then Christianity is a false religion. But if it did take place, then Christ is God and the Christian faith is absolute truth. You see, why was the resurrection so important? Well, it certifies our faith. It it validates our faith. But not only does it certify our faith, it also confirms the deity of Jesus Christ. It confirms the deity of Jesus Christ. And it goes along with what we just talked about. But at least nine different times, Jesus himself predicted his own resurrection. Uh, I'm not going to go through all nine of them this morning. Uh, We don't have time for that. I would invite you and encourage you to do the study on your own and look at those nine different instances. But I want to give you just two of them very quickly this morning. Uh, This one took place in John chapter 2. Uh, we won't turn, turn there, but uh, after Jesus cleansed the temple, remember he did that twice? After the first time he cleansed the temple and drove out those money changers and said, hey, this is, this is my house and it needs to be a house of prayer, not a den of thieves. John chapter 2, 19 says this, uh, Jesus answered and said unto them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Well, everybody there were, was in the temple. And as he said that, everybody thought he was talking about the temple, the physical temple. But what he was really referring to was the temple of his body. And after his resurrection, his disciples remembered what Jesus said and went, that's what he meant when he said, uh, I will rise it up again. Uh, in, In three days, I will raise it up again. That's what he meant. The light bulb finally went off after or went on right after he uh, rose from the grave. So that was the first time, or one of the first times he predicted his own resurrection. And then one of the later times that he predicted his resurrection was very close to his death. There in the upper room as he meets with his disciples and uh, serves them the bread and the, and the cup. After that, they, he, he, he uh, goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, if you remember that. And as he's en route to the Garden of Gethsemane, here's what Jesus says in Matthew 26, 32. Jesus said, but after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. And so he predicts it. And uh, obviously Jesus fulfilled those predictions. And uh, Jesus was uh, promising that he would rise from the grave, and he did. Now, no other sign could prove the deity of Jesus Christ quite like the resurrection. There was a lot of things that he did. Uh, he uh, did a lot of different miracles, didn't, did he not? He healed the sick. He uh, uh, helped people and, and uh, did all those things, and he raised, he raised the dead. But, but for him to rise from the grave by his own power, uh, that would really prove that he was who he said he was. As many theologians have pointed out throughout history, Jesus could only be, and you perhaps have heard this, could only be Lord or a liar or a lunatic. He was either knowingly a fraud, deceiving everyone around him, spreading lies, or he was a lunatic going around believing something that was completely false. And uh, we have seen those people in our lifetimes, haven't we? Or he was indeed God who became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, up until the resurrection, the jury was still out, and people were forming all kinds of opinions about him. And even those opinions that they formed changed as time went on. Take, for example, those who laid the palm branches down on that very first Palm Sunday as Jesus makes his entry into Jerusalem. And they're laying those down and they're, they're waving them and yelling out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That happened on Sunday. Well, what happened on Wednesday? Those same people, just three days later. Is that three days? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. That's three days later. Uh, three days later, this same mob that was, uh, uh, you know, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Here's a big palm branch. Excited for him to come into Jerusalem. Their opinion completely changed in three short days. 
Because on Wednesday, they're yelling out, crucify him, crucify him, release unto us Barabbas. We'd rather have a known and convicted robber in our midst and murderer in our midst than Jesus. We'd rather see Jesus be crucified. Wow. And the jury would still be out except for the fact that he promised he would rise from the dead. He promised he would be resurrected, and he was, which declares and confirms and proves his deity. So the resurrection, it certifies our faith. It also confirms the deity of Jesus Christ. And also, uh, thirdly, it also completes the gospel. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if your Bible's still open there, if you would look in verse number 1, Paul says this, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I have preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand. So he's about to explain what the gospel is. Now we hear the word gospel all the time in Christianity and Christianese. What is the gospel? Verse number two, he goes on, By which ye also are saved, if ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I have delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received. And here comes the gospel in a nutshell. Verses three and four tells us what the gospel is. I delivered unto you, first of all, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Okay, and there was, the reason it says according to the scriptures is because there was a lot of different theories as to how Jesus ended up dying and why he died. And uh, Paul wanted to say the gospel is that Christ died for us according to the way the scriptures say he died for us. Okay, so that's the first part. Then it says in verse number four, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, again, according to the scriptures. Again, there was a lot of theories back then about how Jesus rose from the grave. But the gospel is the death and the burial and praise the Lord, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No resurrection There's no gospel. There's no means of salvation for you and for me. Uh, No resurrection according to the the passage in um, verses 12 through 20. No resurrection of Christ. Ye are yet in your sins. We're in a world of hurt, my friend, if there is no resurrection. And so it completes the gospel. It was absolutely necessary for the gospel to be completed. Tony Bazin said this, The cradle and the cross are of little value without the resurrection. Uh, we love Christmas time. We were talking about it a little bit in our Sunday school class this morning about what your favorite holiday is and why. And some people said Christmas. I said Christmas because of the Christmas cookies. Um, but and we love Christmas because of the, the baby and, and the meaning of Christmas as well. But, but I'm telling you, the cradle and the cross mean zero without the resurrection. But you see, the cradle plus the cross plus the resurrection equals salvation. The resurrection completes the gospel and it ties it all up and it finishes it. So that's why it was so important. That's why it was such a priority. But number two this morning, I want us to notice the proof of his resurrection. The proof of his resurrection. Okay, pastor, can you prove that Jesus rose from the grave? Our brother Tom Thompson preached a good message a couple weeks ago and uh, dealt with some of this stuff. And so I'm kind of taking it and using that as a launching pad for where I'm going today. At the end of, the, at the end of his message, I, uh, I brought up a, a verse, Acts chapter 1 and verse number 3. And it says this, to whom also he, Jesus, showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. Being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And so this morning I want to be a lawyer, okay? I'm not a lawyer. Uh, I would, I'm not smart enough to be a lawyer. Or maybe I'm smart enough not to be a lawyer. I'm not sure which. <laughs> uh, because I know their reputation is always the best. Uh, but today I want to uh, show some evidence to you as the jury to prove to you that Jesus 
rose from the grave. That he indeed is the resurrected Lord and Savior. And so today I want to give you some exhibits. Now there's more exhibits I could give you, but for sake of time I'm going to give you four. And there's maybe a couple more intertwined in these. But here we go. Exhibit A. Exhibit A is the empty tomb and the grave clothes. You see, the pyramids of Egypt are famous because they contain the mummified bodies of ancient Egyptian kings. Westminster Abbey in London is renowned because it rests, in it rests the bodies of English nobles and notables. Muhammad's tomb is noted for the stone coffin and the bones it contains. The Taj Mahal was built as a memorial to a wife of one, to, of one, of, one of India's shahs. Arlington Cemetery in Washington, D.C. is revered for it is the honored resting place of many outstanding Americans. But the garden tomb of Jesus is famous not because of what is inside, but because it is empty. Because you won't find the bones of Jesus Christ anywhere here on this earth. Because he is risen and now at the right hand of the throne of God, which which our memory verse says. McKinsey was a little girl, and she wasn't trying to start a theological debate. She just wanted to make a point about Jesus' resurrection, and so her Sunday school teacher had tried to encourage her class with the assurance that Jesus is everywhere. But for Mackenzie, that just didn't sound right. So she said, well, I know one place where Jesus isn't. The teacher curiously replied, oh, really? Where is that? The bright little girl declared, well, he's not in the grave What a great reminder. Our omnipresent God has chosen to keep his presence absent from the grave. Uh, The angel said in Matthew 28 and verse number 6, if you recall, he is not here, for he is risen as he said. I want you to look in John chapter 20, if you would. We'll be back in 1 Corinthians 15 in 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 a few moments, but John chapter number 20. The Empty Tomb, Uh, Exhibit A, produce the body of Jesus. You can't. The Empty Tomb, but then the grave clothes in the tomb. It wasn't, we we talk about the, the tomb was empty. Well, technically, it wasn't completely empty because there were some things that were left behind. Jesus left his grave clothes because he didn't need them because he was alive. But verse, uh, let's look in here in verse number uh, 2. Mary Magdalene, uh, she runs, comes to Simon Peter, to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. That's John. That's the human author of the Gospel of John. And saith unto them, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher. That's what she thought. She thought someone had taken the body and, uh, and made it disappear. And we know not whether they have laid him. Well, Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. And I like John here. He's just a typical man, Mr. Mr. Competitive. Uh, Look in verse number four. So they ran both together and the other disciple did outrun Peter. He's like, I just want to let you know I came in first. You know, we we were racing to the tomb and like not to brag, but uh, I got first place. (laughs) Uh, I beat Peter. Um, And we want to record that forever in the scriptures uh, so that everybody knows for the rest of time that I am the faster runner between me and Peter. So they ran both together and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the the sepulcher. So John runs and he gets there first and he's kind of like, hey, slowpoke, I got here first. And uh, he doesn't go into the tomb. He doesn't go into the sepulcher. He just stands at the door. And then verse number five, it says, and he's stooping in. Um, and looking in, saw the linen clothes lie, yet went he not in. So John looks at the clothes. He, he kind of gets a closer look and sees the clothes there laying in that tomb. Verse 6, then Simon Peter following him. He bolts into the sepulcher. I mean, you know, Peter. You know, he just kind of has no filter kind of. And so he just kind of like barges in. And so he comes into the he comes into the sepulcher and sees the linen clothes lie and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. 
And then finally, John goes in, verse 8, then went in also that other disciple which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw, and what's those next two words? And believed. Why was it that he believed? Was it because the tomb was empty? It's because he saw those grave clothes, and the way those grave clothes were laying there, it was obvious to John that this wasn't like someone unwrapped him and took the body. No, it was almost like if I was laying down right here, and then all of a sudden my body just left, and my clothes just kind of fell down. That's the way those uh, grave clothes looked to John, and so John was like, he really did rise from the grave. He really did. He is the resurrected Lord. He he did what he said he was going to do. And he believed when he saw not just the empty tomb, but those grave clothes that were there. They were looked like a body had been there, but now that body is just transposed out of that. Amazing. You see, that is exhibit A. And so I want you to think about that there is an empty tomb and those grave clothes the way they were arranged proves the fact that Jesus did rise from the grave. So that was exhibit A. Exhibit B, the eyewitnesses. The eyewitnesses, those who saw Jesus after his resurrection. Uh, Jesus literally died on the cross. He was buried and he was in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. And then he rose from the grave and then people began to see him. Acts chapter 1, verse 3, I quoted it a moment ago. He showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So for 40 days, Jesus is uh, making his appearance to uh, several different people. If you would turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And let's look in uh, verse number 5. 3 and 4 was the gospel in a nutshell, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the scriptures. But then verse 5, here we go. And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. Cephas is a reference to Peter. Verse number 6, after that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me, also as one born out of due time. So Jesus appears to Peter and then the twelve, which is a reference to the other disciples. Now, I realize that uh, after the resurrection, Judas was long and gone by then. He had already committed suicide, and he was out of the picture. But the, the disciples as a group were often referred to as the twelve. And so that's why Paul puts it here. And then in verse number seven, uh, a reference to all the apostles, because he appeared to these men on multiple occasions. And by the way, it's not like these... Uh, 500 plus witnesses were loco crazy people. Okay, here's what Charles Spurgeon said about the eyewitnesses. He said, the witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ were unprejudiced, unexpectant, incredulous, and their honesty is not doubted even by skeptical criticism. So these weren't just a bunch of crazy people like, hey, I'll give you five bucks if you say that you saw Jesus. No, these were just random people who had actually seen them, who had no reason to to lie. How many of you uh, have ever served on a jury? You've done jury duty and you got picked to be on a jury. Raise your hand. There's only a couple of you who've had the opportunity to do that. Yeah, um, I've done jury duty, but uh, I always got booted before uh, before they picked me on, which I was okay with, but uh, how... Can you imagine sitting on a jury and uh, the defense or the prosecution, one or the other, brings in not one witness, but over 500 witnesses? And you're kind of like, come on, when is this going to be over? And he's like, I'd like to call to the witness, Peter. 
And Peter comes to the witness stand. Have you seen the risen Savior? Yes, Jesus is alive. Uh, he rose from the grave, I believe. And then all the other 12 disciples come, or the other 11 disciples come. Actually, the other 10 uh, come. If I get the numbers right in my mind. And then, and then, okay, well, you guys are just disciples. So let's get some from the community who have seen the risen Savior. And one by one, they come in. And it just is like taking forever. Everybody's like, I'm getting hungry. When are we going to break for lunch? When is this going to be over? There's too many witnesses. Fine, I believe Jesus is alive. I get it. You see, Jesus didn't hide the fact that he rose from the grave. He appeared to over 500 people at once. So, exhibit B, the eyewitnesses. I believe that that is great evidence right there that Jesus did rise from the grave. Uh, what else? Exhibit C. Exhibit C, the extreme change of the disciples. Uh, you see, the disciples before the resurrection acted a certain way. After the resurrection, there was a noticeable Dramatic and an extreme change that took place in their life. Let's take Peter, for example. Prior to the resurrection, prior to the death of Christ, remember Jesus said, hey, I, you're going you're gonna to deny me. And he said, no, I'm not going to deny you. I'd go to prison for you. I'd die for you, Lord. He said, it's not going to happen to me. And what ended up happening? He denied the Lord not once, not twice, but three times. He denied the Lord and went out and wept bitterly. Well, then an encounter took place in John chapter number 20. And uh, you don't have to turn over there, but I just want to make sure I'm right. Actually, it's chapter 21. Peter goes and he says, I go a fishing. And uh, some people believe he was just saying, you know what, I forget this whole thing. Jesus is dead. I've given three and a half years to this man and now he's gone. What have I done? I just let me go back to what I know and that's fishing. I go a fishing. And the other disciples were like, you know what, we're going to go with you too. So they went into a ship, and then they, they toiled all night, and, and they caught nothing. And then Jesus appears. And then Jesus and Peter have that conversation. Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Yes, you know I love you. Three different times, you remember that. And so Peter denied the Lord, but after the resurrection, we find him going from a disciple who denied the Lord to a disciple who declared the Lord to, a mul to multitudes on the day of Pentecost where 3,000 people get saved and baptized. Wow, what a change. Uh, maybe he just kind of woke up going, well, that, you know, uh, had some crazy donuts or something. Somebody put some weird creamer in his coffee. And all of a sudden now he uh, is on fire for Christ. No. I submit to you it was the fact that he had an encounter with the risen Savior. What about John? Uh, John, one of the sons of thunder. He went from a man who had total contempt for the Samaritans. Talk about a man who was a racist. John would fit the bill. In Luke chapter number 9 and verse number 54, as they were talking about the Samaritans, here's what John, James and John, when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? He said, we hate those dumb Samaritans. We want to, can we just do what Elijah did and call down fire so that they, they perish? So he went from a man who had total contempt for the Samaritans to a man in the book of Acts who had total compassion for the Samaritans. Acts chapter number 8 and verse 25, and it talks about John uh, in the context here. It says, and they, and that, that includes John here, and they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So prior to the resurrection... I hate the Samaritans. After the resurrection, I love the Samaritans and I want to get them the gospel. I want to help them to know the truth so that they can spend eternity with me. Again, what kind of coffee did he get that day? No, 
It was the fact that he had an encounter with the risen, resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. So the extreme change of the disciples. And uh, Brother Tom did such a great job explaining what happened to each of the disciples after, uh, after the resurrection. And they all gave their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. Why would they do that for someone who is still in the grave? They did that because Jesus is alive. Exhibit C, the extreme change of the disciples. Exhibit D, the existence of the church. The existence of the church. Now, I realize there's a lot of religions who exist as well, and that doesn't mean that their religion is right. And just because we exist doesn't necessarily prove that Christianity is true, and just because we exist doesn't mean that Jesus rose from the grave. But, but if you think about the church and, and the day that we meet to assemble to worship, we now meet on Sundays. Why is that? I mean, for thousands of years, worship took place on Saturday. But then now, all of a sudden, after thousands of years of meeting together on Saturday, the Sabbath, now the church, these disciples, are meeting together on Sunday, the first day of the week. Why would they do that? And what would cause such a big change? Imagine if, uh, if you uh, were in a coma for 30 years. Okay, you wake up and all of a sudden the church is meeting on Mondays. And you kind of go, well, what did I miss? I mean, I, I know I've been gone for 30 years. Well, what happened? What, what event took place that, that caused this shift of day of worship? What, 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 what was it? And see, the, as you think of the Jewish calendar and, and these Jews, these disciples weren't Gentiles at the beginning. They were all Jews, and, and they all been used to worshiping the Lord on Saturday, and now they change to Sunday. Why? Because it's a celebration of the resurrection, because that was the day that Jesus rose from the grave, the first day of the week. Saturday worship celebrated the power shown at creation. Remember, first six days of creation, the seventh day, God rested. And he wanted that seventh day to be a day of rest. And that day of rest was to celebrate the, the power that God had to create all that he did. But Sunday worship celebrates the power shown at the resurrection. And see, that's, that's why we worship on Sunday. And the existence of the church and the change of the day of worship is an exhibit, is evidence that proves to the fact that Jesus did rise from the grave. Now, while... These proofs may not seem sufficient on their own. You say, well, the empty tomb and the, uh, the grave clothes. Someone could have staged that. Okay. Uh, the existence of the church. Again, there's a lot of other religions that are meeting today and maybe yesterday and, and uh, maybe beyond uh, or different days. Uh, does that make them right? No, not necessarily. So these proofs may not seem sufficient on their own, but together they form an overwhelming case that proves that the resurrection of Jesus Christ really did happen. But ladies and gentlemen of the jury, based on the many infallible proofs that we mentioned today, do you find the resurrection of Jesus Christ to be true? Really, God has not chosen to put us there to see the risen Lord. We're not one of those 500 that got to uh, see his appearing, his appearance. We're not, we weren't one of the disciples that got to be there to, uh, like Thomas, remember? How he said, hey, I ain't going to believe unless I see the prince in his hands and I could put my finger in there and, and uh, I ain't going to believe. And then Jesus finally does appear to him and he's like, I don't need to do that. I see and I believe. I believe. Uh, do you believe in the resurrection? Uh, God didn't just tell us to believe, and, and, and he could have done that. Uh, and we, we would have reason because of who God is to believe it, but he also has given us all these proofs and these evidences to help us to make that decision on our own. So we do see that God has left us some proof. And as he said in Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, Many infallible proofs. 
So we see the proof. But then number three, and last thought, we'll wrap it up with this, this point here, and that is the point of his resurrection. So re- Jesus rose from the dead. What's the big deal? What's the point? Well, the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives special promises to each and every believer. What are these guarantees? What are these promises? Well, first of all, it guarantees a full justification. Romans chapter number 4 and verse 24 says this, But for us also, and to whom it, righteousness, shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. We talked about justification last Sunday as we looked at the cross and what that meant for us and how that the blood provides justification, but so does the resurrection. It, it justifies us. It, it, it allows God's righteousness to be placed on our account so that as the Lord looks at us, he doesn't see a bunch of sin. He sees a righteous child of God. I, I don't understand how all that works, but that's what the Bible says, and I believe it. Um, And it is great that God does want to justify me. I don't deserve it, neither do you. But God does want to justify us. And justification, if you remember from last Sunday, means just as if I'd never sinned in God's eyes. He doesn't see me as a sinner. He sees me as one of his children, wearing the righteousness of Christ. And, And his resurrection provides that for me. And it's a theological uh, challenge to wrap your head around this. It is for me, at least. But uh, it is what the Bible says. So the resurrection, the point of it, it guarantees me a full justification. And you too, if you're a believer. Next, it also guarantees fruitful labor. Fruitful labor. Uh, Back in 1 Corinthians 15, if you're not already there... Uh, let's look in the very last uh, verse of this of this chapter. And I, uh, we had uh, we had several folks show up yesterday in spite of the weather for our all church prayer and outreach. Thank you f- to those who uh, were able to come. Uh, and this is the verse I, I mentioned uh, yesterday morning as we uh, kind of met together before we headed out. But First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight says therefore, because of the resurrection of Christ and because of what The resurrection means for us, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So everything that we do for for Christ is not empty, it's not in vain, because he did rise from the grave. It's not pointless. It's not meaningless. Studying for these messages is worthwhile. It's not in vain. Remember, he said, your faith is in vain if Christ be not raised. Our preaching is vain if Christ be not raised. But because he is raised, it's not in vain. And your uh, attendance today is not in vain. Your giving is not in vain. Your prayers for this church and our church family is not in vain. Because Christ is risen. What about the first two Scottish missionaries sent to the New Hybrids Islands, and they were killed and eaten by cannibals on the day that they arrived to go bring the gospel to those people. That's a fine how do you do. Well, after that, needless to say, it proved very difficult to find missionary volunteers to go to that island. Okay, we need, who will go and tell us, or bring, preach the gospel to these people? The last missionaries died on day one. Who will go? Not many volunteers. Not many hands went up. But even when John G. Patton agreed to go, well-meaning people in the church tried to persuade him not to go. One elderly man warned that he would probably be eaten by cannibals. Patton replied, I confess to you, that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. 
Well, after 15 years of fruitful ministry, almost everyone on that island where Patton ministered was converted. You see, our labor is not in vain in the Lord. And uh, he promises us a fruitful labor because of the resurrection. It's not meaningless. It's not pointless. The flyers that we put on doors yesterday, even though it may not, we may not see a lot of increase visually, it's not in vain. The lessons that some of you teach to children, it, it, it's not in vain, even though they don't seem like they're paying attention. It's not in, you're not, it's not in vain. Even though I'm preaching a message and, and people sometimes uh, nod off, it's not in vain. Uh, the faithfulness that you show to the Lord, it's not in vain. Because of the resurrection of Christ, it's worthwhile and worth continuing and to be faithful at it. In verse 58, we're encouraged along those lines. It guarantees fruitful labor, but then it also guarantees, lastly, a future resurrection. It guarantees future resurrection. Um, we're going to be back here in 1 Corinthians 15 in just a moment, but I want to read a, a verse a couple pages over in 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. In verse 14 it says this, Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. Do you realize this morning that one day you will be resurrected. You will have a glorified body. Let's read a little bit about that in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery, Paul says. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Which is a great theme verse for a church nursery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. But here he says, he's not talking about the nursery, obviously. He's talking about us. That one day we're not going to uh, all just sleep and, 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 and be in the ground. Um, we're going to be changed. And then verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. You've heard many times me mention my mother who has passed away many years ago. And one day her body is going to uh, come out of that grave, come out of that uh, coffin. So is mine if I die before, uh, before this trumpet. Verse 53, for this corruptible must put on incorruption. My body is dying. I, I look in the mirror, and uh, I don't like, uh, I, I, I don't want to think that my body is dying, but really, that's the truth of the matter. And uh, my body is corruptible. My hair has already died. And uh, I want you to attend the funeral next Thursday at uh, 5, th no, I'm just kidding. Um, I do miss my, I do miss my hair. Uh, my body is corruptible and so is yours but one day this corruptible is going to put on incorruption this mortal verse 53 must put on immortality where death will no longer affect me verse 54 for when this corruptible shall put on incorruption and this this mortal shall put on immortality then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? You see, one day, as believers, you and I are going to have a resurrected, glorified body. And uh, John says it this way, uh, when he shall appear, we shall be like him as he is. So you study the body of Jesus Christ after his resurrection that's the type of body we're going to have. Now, by the way, Jesus still has the scars from the cross that in his body. So I don't know if that means that all of the scars that you and I have from the different surgeries and the different owies that we've gotten over our, the course of our lifetime uh, will, uh, will still be there. I don't know. Uh, but one of the things I really like studying about the life of the glorified body of Jesus Christ is he continued to eat. I'm like, praise the Lord, that means we get to keep eating. Uh, 
and uh, he ate some fish, so seafood is on the menu, I'm sure, and, uh, and some honeycomb as well, uh, so we get to eat some sweets. There you go, sugar. Okay, Just pointing at my wife right now. We have a thing going right now. The Lord ate sugar, so should I. I want to follow the Lord's footsteps, you know, be like Christ. So there you go. I just found my proof text <laughs> for something we're, we're, we're going through in our marriage right now. Um, sorry about that. That was, that, that, that was not in my notes. I shouldn't have done that. But, uh, but the point is, the glorified body is going to be amazing. And, and it is, you know, there, you see Jesus' body not being affected by gravity. As he ascends up into heaven, his body's not affected by gravity. Uh, he's able to walk through walls. Won't that be neat? Um, you know, your kids lock the door on you. No, bar- no problem. <laughs> Coming right on in. What are you guys doing in there? Um, this is, this is going to be great. I'm looking forward to that. It guarantees a future resurrection. But you know, this promise of a future resurrection isn't just for the saved, though, is it? You see, there's another resurrection for the lost. Revelation 20 talks about it. In verse 11, John writes, And I saw a great white throne, him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. The sea gave up the dead which were in it. This is the resurrection of the lost. So those who died at sea uh, were uh, resurrected. Death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast in a lake of fire. This is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. So because Jesus rose from the grave, there's a future resurrection for me. There's a future resurrection for everyone. So if you're saved, you get a glorified body. You can be in the presence of God forever. But if you're lost, you're going to have to stand before this great white throne judgment and be judged according to your works. And I guarantee no one's works are going to merit them entrance into heaven. All their works are going to do is uh, sentence them to a place called the lake of fire. And that's where they will be for all of eternity. So my question for you this morning is this. Are you saved? Are you going to have a glorified body one day? Or are you going to stand before the great white throne judgment one day? It's one of the two. Because you're going to be resurrected because Jesus resurrected. And that promises all of us are going to have a resurrection too. And so this morning, if you're here and you're not saved, please... Jesus really did rise from the grave. He did that to offer you eternal life. He did that to give you full justification so that your sins could be forgiven and God's righteousness, Christ's righteousness would be applied to your account and you could enter into a wonderful place called heaven. Would you come to Christ today and be saved? Those of us who are saved, I believe we have reason to give thanks today. I have reason for us to share the gospel with those around us because the gospel's been completed, remember, through the resurrection. It completed us. Now let's go and share that gospel with those who need it. There is a bunch of people probably living around you that need the gospel. There's probably people who work with you who need the gospel. There's probably uh, people that you go to school with that need the gospel. Let's be faithful to share the gospel with those around us.